Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Balsak, Ferrer, Nola, Chilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Mosusito. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Sample joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we've got the latest news and notes. Michael Waka signed with the Padres. Frankie Montas could miss the entire season. And of course, we'll get to your latest mailbag questions from both our Apple Podcast reviews and some emails. Hello there, Scotty. We're recording uh, during the daytime. This is weird. It is weird. It is weird. That is... That is... The weirdness of February, I guess, and doing how many shows a week? I guess it's just five, right? Five for now, but I think starting next week or the week after, we go to six, so it's it's a busy time. What? what? Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, there's going to be some afternoon recordings then. Yep, for sure. Let's jump in. We've got some news and notes. We'll start off with Michael Waka, who signed a one-year, $7.5 million deal with the Padres. Kind of interesting structure here because it contains a two-year club option for 24 and 25, a three-year player option for 24 through 26. Last year, Michael Waka was pretty good on the surface, 3.32 ERA, 1.12 whip. You know, the underlying numbers kind of tell us a different story here, Scott. Uh, what do you think about Michael Waka going to the Padres? Well, I think there's a better chance of him being useful in fantasy than Nick Martinez or Seth Lugo. I'm not sure which of those is going to be ejected in favor of him. I don't know. Maybe they'll go six man sometimes, but uh, yeah, the back end of the Padres rotation was looking pretty rough and it's hard not to see Waka as an upgrade, but you know, I've, I've done a few drafts this year. Haven't done any NL only yet, but you know, I've done a few. I've, I've yet to feel the urge to draft Waka. <laughs> so, yeah, the numbers last year were pretty good. But all the ERA estimators were not. And, um, 
He seems like somebody who overachieved and wasn't especially durable in overachieving. Yeah, he only threw 127 and a third innings last season. That is Michael Waka. Changed the pitch mix a little bit through his four-seam fastball and cutter less while throwing his sinker more. So the strikeouts were not impressive. Seems like he was pitching more to contact, but it worked, at least last year. We'll see if he could do that again. You're right, Scott. I mean, the Padres needed help in the back half of this rotation, and for now, they maybe got that in Michael Waka. Say it ain't so, which is... Actually, my favorite karaoke song, Scott. Jacob deGrom had his throwing session move back due to tightness in his left side. I don't think this is a huge deal, Scott, because it's the middle of February. But the fact that it's Jacob deGrom who just misses so much time regularly, I thought it was kind of worth mentioning. Yeah, no, I agree. Just like, here we go again with Jacob deGrom. Hasn't even thrown his first inning yet, and already he's dealing with something. So just... A reminder not to get not to get too sanguine about Jacob deGrom and his chances of staying healthy this year. Judging from where he's being drafted, I don't think anybody is. I mean, I think a lot of that injury risk is built in, but for good reason. From one injury to a much more severe one, Frankie Montas will undergo shoulder surgery and miss a significant portion of the season, which the Yankees have a way of doing this where... They kind of wait and wait and wait, and then they, their players have surgery at the most inopportune times. We know that Montas had a, a shoulder surgery, uh, shoulder injury last year. Why didn't he have surgery at the end of the season? And maybe he's back sooner. I I never really understand how these things go. But it does seem to happen a lot with the Yankees specifically, doesn't it? It's it's very weird. I don't know what's going on with them. Maybe they're just, just optimistic going there. into the off season. Everybody's everybody's happy to go on vacation at the end of the year, <laughs> and they're just like, ah, we'll deal with that later. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Anywho, it looks like the person filling in for Montas will be Domingo Herman, who last year had a three point six one ERA, one point one six WHIP. Strikeouts, fastball velocity, swinging strike rate, all down from where he's been at in years past, Scott. Any interest in Domingo Herman as a late-round sleeper? You're not in like a standard 12-team league. I could see him... It's, it's kind of like Waka, where like I, I could see him being useful for stretches, but I don't think there's particularly high upside. And um, it's... You know, it'd have to be a pretty deep league for me to invest actual draft capital in him. But yeah, Frankie Montas, I would say, is he he had been getting drafted in virtually all these still. And obviously, if if they're talking about a late season return at best, there's no reason to draft Montas anymore either. Who would you rather have between the two, Scott? Uh, Domingo Herman or Michael Waka? Mm, I'd have to dig into that a little more, I think, to say for sure. Uh, I'm going to just kind of gut reaction. I'm going to say Waka, but again, it's not, it's not a, a strong favoritism. Yeah. I don't know that they're that dissimilar, right? It's the surface numbers are good. Don't really trust it. They both pitch for good teams, the Yankees and the Padres respectively. Uh, but yeah, it, these are more late round guys, deep leagues and AL or NL only. Liam Hendricks will be around the White Sox for spring training, but an update on any timeline will not come until at least opening day. Hendricks was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma this offseason, which is obviously incredibly sad, and we're wishing him the best and, and hope that everything works out and he gets back on track and he's back in baseball within the year, next couple of years, something like that, but we just don't know. And I kind of hate to 
look at this from a fantasy perspective, Scott, because obviously it's bigger than baseball. But your best guess as to who will open the season as the White Sox closer. My assumption was Kendall Graveman, but I've heard more mm-hmm. whispers recently about Reynaldo Lopez. Yeah, I would say it's between those two. Graveman is my best guess because he got six saves as sort of the backup closer last year for the White Sox and was pretty consistently the eighth inning guy. He did have a 1.40 whip to go along with his 318 ERA, but we've seen him be better than that in the past. He's a little, he's kind of vulnerable to having a high whip as a, as a, uh, a, a big ground ball guy and not so much a, not so much of a bat misser, at least by closer standards. So, it, you know, it, it may be more palatable that whip than it seems, but it wouldn't surprise me if, considering this is more of a long-term fill-in situation, they they decided to use Lopez there instead. Or, you know, the worst-case scenario for fantasy, they might just mix and match with the two of them, and and uh, it makes it hard to invest in either. It certainly seems like Ronaldo Lopez has the stuff to be a closer in baseball, and him working for just you know one inning at a time probably works out better for him. But we'll see. I mean, if I'm just betting on talent, I think it's probably Lopez right now, but we'll probably learn more throughout spring training. Reds manager David Bell reluctantly confirmed Alexis Diaz as the team's closer. Quote, I guess the only reason I'm hesitant to say that, and I'm not, is he's going into the season as our closer. There are times where it's an important game, and he's fully available. We might use him earlier than that. He's been that good. So just kind of leaving open the possibility of using Alexis Diaz as a fireman in the biggest spot in the game. But as of now, yeah. still looked at as the closer. I mean, this is more more of a firmer commitment than I was expecting to get from David Bell, who has been especially reluctant to commit in recent years. Granted, he hasn't had a reliever as good as Alexis Diaz during that time. But... You know, he's even saying he's not hesitant. The the only reason I'm hesitant to say that, and I'm not. Yeah. So, like, that's that's pretty firm. And and most teams, I mean, even even the Mets with Edwin Diaz, they they'd use him in the eighth inning sometimes if if it seemed like, particularly down the stretch last year, if it seemed like he was more beneficial in that role. So, uh, this I think is very good news and reason for me to draft Alexis Diaz with more confidence. Scott, did you choose Edwin Diaz as your example because they're brothers? No, I didn't. <laughs> that is uh, that is funny. No, I, I used it as an example because it's true. Like yeah. Adam Adovino was sometimes late last season getting the saves while Edwin Diaz was working the eighth. I think it kind of went unnoticed, but it did happen multiple times. Scott mentioned this on our Outfield Preview Part 2, but Randall Grichuk is recovering from hernia surgery and will miss the beginning of the season. The team acquired former top prospect Nolan Jones this offseason. Scott, this is another deep league name that we're talking about, NL only. Do you have any hope here? A deep sleeper on Nolan Jones. Uh, Yeah, I mean, anytime you have a player, a, a a, a hitter of some renown, Playing half his games at Coors Field, there's a chance for it to turn into something special. Nolan Jones hits the ball hard. He walks a lot, strikes out a lot too. But, you know, the, the Babbitt boosting potential of Coors Field could overcome that strikeout rate in a way Cleveland couldn't. He bats left handed, so you wonder if he's how likely he is to get every day at bats. 
but I would call Nolan Jones a very deep sleeper. All right. Paul Seawald is a full go for the start of spring training after having offseason procedures on both heel on both heels and his elbow. We're uh, kind of waiting to learn more about Andres Munoz, who had an offseason procedure as well. Matt Moore signed a contract with the Angels and was really good last season in relief. 1.93 ERA, 83 strikeouts, over 74 innings pitched. Scott, do you think Matt Moore can factor into the saves conversation for the Angels? It's possible. They don't have a, a clear option for the ninth inning. I think sort of the conventional wisdom was Carlos Estevez, now that he was free from Colorado, a hard thrower who who got occasional looks as a closer during his time with the Rockies. Carlos Estevez was, I, I, th- I think, kind of presumed to be the front runner for saves there, but... They didn't really commit to anyone in the role after trading Rysel Iglesias last year. Their best reliever prior to this Moore signing was uh, Jimmy Hergit, I would say, or Hergit. Is it Hergit or Hergit? I believe it's Hergit. Okay. And he's a right-hander. Um, I would still guess Estevez. Like, if I have to draft one Angels reliever, I would still guess Estevez because Matt Moore. Uh, they have Jose Quijada too, but so they got a couple left-handers there. I don't know. It's it's pretty messy. It's it's one of like eight bullpen situations where you, you could, you know, I, I'll, I'll pencil someone in as the closer for now, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's one of three or four other guys or no true closer at all. And and they're just totally playing matchups, at least for the first couple months until somebody emerges. So yeah, one, one you'd rather avoid. Fran Mel Reyes signed a minor league contract with the Royals. He hit just 221 with 14 home runs over 118 games last season. Tyler Stevenson is expected to catch 65 games this year. He'll spend the rest of his time at DH and first base. I believe I saw it was he's going to start four every 10 games, and then I think it's three DH and three first base. But either way, Tyler Stevenson should play a lot when he's healthy. Tyler Malley, who battled... interesting that only 65 of those games will be a catcher. That is very interesting, right? That's that's why I included it. Yeah. (laughs) So who's playing time? Is he going to steal a DH and first base? I mean, obviously, Joey Votto is the first baseman. Um, I imagine they'll DH Joey Votto a lot. I He's coming back from, I think it's shoulder surgery and he's behind. So they might just let him DH quite a bit. Joey Votto there. Yeah, um, I mean, they have TJ Friedel is who Roster Resource has as their left fielder right now. They could shift Will Myers over there. I think they have options. Yeah, it'll probably be fine. But still, I, I think if Tyler Stevenson is like a catcher and only 65 games is... That's not many. It is weird. It's definitely weird for Tyler Stevenson. From one Tyler to another, Tyler Malley, who battled shoulder trouble last year, has no restrictions during spring training. We have a few Orioles pitchers who are banged up early on in camp. Dylan Tate will miss the first month of the season due to a flexor strain. Dio Hall will be slowed in spring training due to a lumbar injury in his back. And Felix Bautista will be delayed this spring while recovering from knee and shoulder injuries. I don't think that he'll miss time, but if he does, the team re-signed Michael Givens this offseason, so that's who I think would be next up for the Orioles. 
Yeah, I think it could be him or it could be, uh, let me see here. No, that's okay. I'm sorry. No, he's hurt. Never mind. Um, (laughs) No, I, I, yeah, Felix Bautista seems to be the closer I'm drafting most often. So hopefully he doesn't end up missing time. (laughs) I, I think he's, I think he's great. I mean, I think he's, was kind of the breakout star at the position in the second half last year. So hopefully, hopefully this doesn't hold him back. Ian Anderson underwent a biometric evaluation this offseason that helped him adjust his mechanics on the mound. He posted a five ERA flat in just over 111 innings last season and is competing for the Braves' fifth starter job uh, in spring training. Walker Buehler was placed on the 60-day IL and is expected to miss most of the season as he recovers from Tommy John surgery, but he is a name to remember in keeper leagues where you can draft him late and keep him the following season for very late in your draft. So just remember the name Walker Buehler. And Giants top pitching prospect Kyle Harrison will begin the year at AAA and could eventually make an impact this season. All right, Scott, let's get into the questions. First up, we have Apple Podcast review questions. This one is from Sam. I've got 10th pick in an upcoming draft and was wondering who to pick between Mookie Betts and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Does not say the format. I'm not sure that it matters, Scott. I'm I'm pretty sure you're choosing Betts regardless. I am choosing Betts regardless. I I think I'm higher on Betts than the consensus. I I certainly prefer him to to Kyle Tucker, to Shohei Otani. Not that Otani's an outfielder, but... um, I think I might even prefer bets to Trey Turner just because it's so important for me to fill that outfield position early. And early basically means round one, as we talked about in our outfield preview there. It's a lot to choose from in round two and round three at that position. So certainly over Vladimir Guerrero, who plays the very deep first base position, I'll take I'll take bets. And and even if the positions were equal, I would expect bets to outperform Guerrero, obviously. Guerrero has a lot of upside, as we saw in 2021, but so does Betts. And yes, Scott, you are ahead of the consensus. ADP for Betts is 9.6. You have Betts fourth overall in your head-to-head points rankings and sixth overall in Roto or categories. This next one's from DFresh9. Dear Rocket, Lefty, Smokey Joe, and Oil Can. I spent, you know, Scott, whenever we get these, I spend way too much time trying to figure out what they are. It just, it kind of stifles my productivity. And without Chris here, we're, we're probably not going to figure out a lot of these. So. Well, I, I mean, Rocket is Roger Clemens. Oil Can is Oil Can Boyd. They were both Red Sox pitchers in the 80s. Okay. Um, so I'm going to guess Lefty and Smokey Joe were too, but I don't know who they are. Well, you know what, Scott? You got a lot further than I did. So, <laughs> Good thing we have you here. Players in the last year of a contract always seem to stay healthy and overperform. Which contract year players should be targeted? I will point out, it doesn't always happen, but the ones that do happen are just ingrained in our mind because they are usually very big seasons. Obviously, Aaron Judge last year. Dansby Swanson had a very big season. You can go down the list. There's... Every year, it seems there's a couple of guys in a contract year that have very big years. And Scott, I listed a bunch of names here. Actually, more than I even thought. But, you know, up top, Shohei Otani is the biggest marquee free agent next offseason. I don't know how much better he can actually get because he's already, you know, maybe the best player in baseball. But a few that I highlighted that I think are pretty interesting. Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman. Wouldn't surprise me if he just 
finally gets back on track here. Lucas Giolito in a contract year. Sonny Gray, can he stay healthy? Blake Snell, Luis Severino. That's one where really wouldn't surprise me. You know, finally stays healthy for like 160 and performs like a top 12 or 15 starting pitcher. Tyler Malley, I mentioned earlier, Jesse Winker, and Harrison Bader. Those were kind of the injury-prone, fringy guys that I thought, all right, it wouldn't surprise me if they have a better contract here. Yeah, I've never been a big believer in contract year theory, and I do think there's a lot of confirmation bias that goes into that. I mean, certainly we've seen the opposite end of the spectrum where a player has has one of his worst years before hitting free agency and then often has to sign a one-year deal to kind of rebuild his value. Uh, Was that a psychological thing? Was he putting more pressure on himself heading into that big signing? I I don't know. I mean, I I think if if you get to this level of baseball, you're probably probably pretty hard on yourself all the time and um, always motivated to do as well as you're capable of doing. So I, I don't I don't think there's much to the theory, especially in baseball. You could make the argument in football that, you know, I, I you know, I, I think there's an easier argument to make in that sport. But anyway, of this group, um look, I think Jesse Winker has bounce back potential because he was playing hurt most of last year, we came to find out at the end. Lucas Giolito has been working pretty hard to remake his delivery. He actually gained a lot of muscle heading into last season. I don't remember exactly how much it was, like 30 pounds, 40. is a lot. And then he's taken it all off because it seemed to, like, throw off his delivery. Uh, his, his body just was, you know, he had a different body composition which which changes mechanics so he's 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 shed that weight and is working to get it right so i think lucas giolito that's the argument for him bouncing back blake snell if he can get it in his head that he really just needs to focus on throwing that slider as much as possible um then hopefully he can be more consistent and avoid the struggles early that we've seen the last two years so I guess those are the three from this list who I'd key in on. But it's kind of irrespective of the, the contract situation. Yeah, and last year I was completely out on Blake Snell, Scott. I'm, I'm kind of in. I mean, you know, we've seen these small stretches where he changes his pitch mix, as you mentioned, and Blake Snell looks amazing. But he did it for a larger stretch last year. So I'm hoping it's just finally ingrained in his mind. And he just has this awesome season. I, I think it's still possible for Blake Snell. Interesting point you made on Giolito, too. I remember back in the day, CC Sabathia, he lost weight one year, and he was terrible. So then he came back a few weeks later, and he put on like his 20, 30, 40 pounds, and he was he was back to pitching like CC Sabathia. You know, it's just some of these guys pitch at a certain weight, and you know, that's, that's when they're at their best. This next one's from MHB Lou. Dear DJ Stephanie and Michelle. Are we just going with with ages here, Scott? Like, I'm Michelle because I'm the youngest. You're, I don't know which one's the oldest. I guess, is it DJ? DJ. DJ. Yeah. Does that make sense? 
DJ Tanner. Sure, I'll be DJ Tanner. Uh, and this question is directed uh, to you, so I'm happy happy you made it here today, Scotty. Scott has talked this offseason about the return to position scarcity and a growing middle class of quality pitchers, but the changes MLB is making this upcoming season, shift bands, easier ability to steal bases, will increase offense. Therefore, wouldn't it be a competitive advantage to prioritize elite pitchers in the draft, even if it means missing out on the scarcity of second and third basemen? I'm just going to sit back here, Scott, and uh, you could do your thing. So. <laughs> well, um, I don't think it's going to increase offense that much. Certainly not like we saw with the huge home run numbers during the six year period known as the juice ball era. I mean, stolen bases, singles that that's really what we're going to see more of. If these rules go like we think they're going to go stolen bases and singles, one base at a time sort of improvement, which isn't going to have a drastic effect, I think on the number of runs scored. And it's not going to impact the entire class of pitching the way uh the way the juice ball era did too the 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 way during that time any ball hit in the air seemingly had a chance to get out and it was just it 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 just meant unless you unless you weren't this legendary overpowering bat misser you were vulnerable and you know, most pitchers fell into that category. So you really had to sell out for those few high-end types to avoid having bad pitching. And I don't think we're there anymore. I don't think an increase in stolen bases or singles is going to get us back there. Um, most of my time playing fantasy baseball, which, I mean, playing fantasy baseball, I'm going into my 24th season of that. It's... I, I think we're returning, these rules are designed to return us to an environment like we've seen for the majority of that time. Whips used to be higher. Stolen bases used to be more plentiful. It's only in recent years that those numbers have, have gotten to the point that they have. And for all that time playing fantasy baseball, hitting was the way to go early. The only exception was during that juice ball year, as for the reasons that I outlined. I do know that there have been studies done, Scott, that show hitters early in drafts are most likely to return their investment. Um, just compared to, you know, obviously starting pitchers and relief pitchers. And, you know, with that being said, I know Chris has done work that shows the further you go down the list of pitchers, the less likely they are to return investment. So it sounds counterproductive, but if you're just looking at it from a macro level, hitters are most likely to, uh, you know, return investment in the early round. So I think taking one or two or even three to start your draft mm -hmm. uh, does make a lot of sense. Yeah. At least no, the, let me, let me, let me go a little deeper with this. If you don't mind. Yep. I got to pull up an article here. Uh, position scarcity is the thing again was the article. And in it, I do address the way the pitching landscape has changed because that's become the most plentiful position. It went from being the scarcest and, and maybe the only scarcity in fantasy baseball during the years of the juice ball era to now it's it's the most plentiful you know you made the case hitters are safer early and that's true but that's half the argument i do think it's just pitchers are more plentiful so um compared to just last year which wasn't even the worst of the juice ball era 20 
or, or I'm sorry, compared to two years ago, 2021, which wasn't even the worst of the juice ball era. Um, last year saw an increase basically um, across the board here in terms of useful pitchers. So I, I'll break it down this way. Head-to-head points per game, 18 plus. There were eight pitchers last year versus five two years ago. 17 plus points per game. There were 15 pitchers last year versus 11 two years ago. 16 plus points per game. There were 24 pitchers last year versus 13 two years ago. 15 plus points per game. There were 29 pitchers versus 21 two years ago. 14 plus points per game. There were 38 pitchers last year versus 32 years ago. And this is the big one. 13 plus fantasy points per game. There were 51 pitchers last year versus 35 two years ago. So like at every level of production and, and, you know, a 13 plus guy would probably be, you know, fourth or fifth starter for you. Um, At every level of production, you're seeing a a lot more choices. (laughs) And, and, and and that means like I'm I'm tempted to um I'm gonna try it in a mock. I'm I'm tempted to not even bother with starting pitcher until like round eight or nine. And in a shallower league, like a twelve team league, um, especially if it's if it's like head to head and and uh and it's more important to have impact at every hitter spot because there are fewer hitter spots. I'm tempted to try that. I mean that that is the kind of things I was doing, you know, in, in, in like 2008, 2009, and it was working just kind of filling in all those hitter spots. And then the hitter lull comes in and you just load up on pitching and it's not all going to work obviously, but you're, you're going to have enough bites at the apple there from that very deep crop of guys who averaged 13, 14, 15 plus points per start last year. Uh, that, you know, those advantages that you gave yourself at the hitter positions earlier are going to be enough to, to pull you over the finish line and you're not going to be as disadvantaged as starting pitching as you might presume you would be. I don't know if I explained that very well, but that's, that's kind of the thinking. It's, it's, it's kind of putting myself back in the mentality I had 15 years ago. Um, and that was probably the most successful stretch of fantasy baseball I had too. So hopefully, I don't know. It, it seems worth trying, if nothing else. I think it makes sense, Scott. I mean, with the environment constantly changing in baseball, you have to change your approach in fantasy as well. And this is how you are re, are choosing to react to it with quantity at starting pitcher over quality. And hopefully, a few of those, you know, pitchers turn into quality right. which is which is right, the hope, exactly obviously. yeah i the, think there's a better chance in this environment of that happening than hitters turning into quality yeah and that's what we spent a lot of this offseason uh, talking about as well we have a few qu- uh, keeper questions here scott let's run through these this one's from keelan 13 uh keeper league question i play in a 10 team head-to-head keeper league we can keep players for three years in whatever round they were originally drafted and be kept in the fifth round or later. Uh, he or she says they are they can keep six players, but I think they meant five because they only listed six players. Tatis in the fifth round, Shane McClanahan in the seventh, Julio Rodriguez in the 21st, Spencer Schreider in the 23rd, Emmanuel Class A in the 24th last year. Uh, this is the last year they could be kept. And Michael Harris in the 25th. Let's say you have to get rid of one of these, Scott. 
Okay, the one I'm getting rid of is... Wow, that's tough. Um, I think the email suggested McClanahan, which... Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that's probably... I mean, he's just drafted yeah. so... These are all early round types. Yep. Right? Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Strider, Emmanuel Class A, Michael Harris. We have our doubts about Michael Harris, but 25th round is ridiculous value. In a 10-team league... You know, maybe you don't have to sell out so hard for a high-end closer because obviously there's going to be more closers to go around. But still, 24th round is ridiculous value for maybe the best closer in a manual Class A. Uh, in a 10-team league, it's very likely McClanahan wouldn't go that much earlier than round seven anyway. So as good as he is, I just think these other keepers, the value is so ridiculous that that you can throw McClanahan back. This one's from Justin1123. Hi, Pablo, Keisha, and Pete. Hmm. Not, not ringing a bell, that one. Oh, this is a throwback, Scotty. Backyard baseball. Pablo Sanchez. Oh. Man, stud. The little, original stud. That was... A little, little after my time. <laughs> but I have, I have seen the memes devoted to Pablo Sanchez, yes. Guy was... Barry Bonds before no it wasn't before Barry Bonds but you know he was the Barry Bonds of backyard baseball I play in a 10 team headset categories league with quality starts replacing wins as a category I need one more keeper from the list below note that you can keep a player for up to four years and the draft slot increases every year based on player performance Shane mm-hmm. O. Mack uh, <laughs> let's see what no, here comes the money here we go money talks here comes the money Joe Musgrove in the sixth round, Jeffrey Springs in the 16th, and Lance Lynn also in the 16th. Only I mean, one. Keep in one. Uh, I'm tempted to just gosh. take the best player with McClanahan. I know he's probably going to go there. Someone yeah, I've round gra- four in a 10 team categories league, like yeah. McClanahan will go later than round four. Someone I've gravitated towards a lot in drafts recently, Scott, is actually Lance Lynn. He feels undervalued based on how well he finished the season. So, I kind of yeah. Like Man, I don't. I don't like any of them. Like, do you have to keep one? Because <laughs> I might just prefer the draft pick in each of these cases. Um, I don't feel like the value is good enough for any. I mean, I, the value is probably best for Lance Lenz round sixteen, but you know it's the difference between investing around 16 pick in him or around 12 pick in him probably yeah. in a 10 team league so i i might like you said just keep the best player and Shane McClanahan even fourth even though fourth round value isn't that great but if if there's an option to keep none that might be my choice this one's from jmatch18 i'm in a head to head categories league with runs rbi home runs total bases obp hitter strikeouts and steals I always focus on your roto discussions, but should I? Maybe this person should focus on our head-to-head points talk, Scott, because head-to-head points focuses more on plate discipline and obviously total bases matter more. This is one of those like tweeners, but you yeah. probably should pay attention more to head-to-head points, I would say. Yeah, if you have to choose, and, and obviously we can't put together rankings for every single format. We just have to we have to stick to the ones that are most widely played. Uh, if you have to choose, probably the head-to-head points rankings would be better. It's still not perfect because 
you know, just by virtue of it being a categories league, home runs and 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 sorry, home runs and stolen bases, for instance, are going to be weighed the same way when they're not weighed the same way in points leagues. The home runs were twice as much as stolen bases, plus the RBI, plus the run. Um, so yes, there, there's not a there's not a perfect solution, but probably head to head points leagues rankings a little more. This one, a little better. This one's from Nooners 2. Hey, Coleman, DiMaggio, and Castilla. Hmm. I was trying to think of the first names. Joe. I mean, with Vinny Castilla, is that what we're going with? Vince Coleman, Vinny Castilla. Is there another DiMaggio that I don't know of? <laughs> I don't know. Did Joe I- have a brother? Vincent DiMaggio? I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't find this one either. AO only keeper help. 10 team 5x5 with a $26 budget, which is very interesting, Scott, because they just chopped the zero off from the usual $260. And you'll see with the keepers, we're talking about like players in terms of sense. (laughs) Vince DiMaggio, two-time All-Star. I had no clue. No clue, but all right, we're going with Vinny. Vinny P, baby. Each year, the cost of a keeper goes up 80 cents. So to recap, Scott, if you didn't hear, 20, $26 budget. Each year, the keeper cost goes up 80 cents. Which four do I keep? Vinny P, baby. For 90 cents, which equates to $9 in a normal $260 budget. <laughs> Shane McClanahan for $1.70. Reed Detmers for 90 cents. Brian Bayo for 90 cents. Yoan Duran for 90 cents or Pete Fairbanks for 90 cents. Uh, how many of these do we need? Four. Four of them. Okay, so 10 teams, but AL only. So very deep league, actually. Yeah. Uh, McClanahan for 17. Oh, yes. Or $1.70. Looks great in that format. Vinny at nine, of course. And I think maybe Duran and Fairbanks. I think so too. Even though neither is for sure a closer, I'd say both are the leading candidate in their respective bullpens, Twins and Rays. Both are probably the most talented in their respective bullpens. And saves are obviously very scarce in an AL only league. So those would be my four choices McClanahan, Pasquantino, Duran, and Fairbanks. Let's take a break. Before we do that, make sure to subscribe to the Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter. It is free. Go to cbssports.com slash newsletters. Click on the FBT logo, punch in your email, and that's it. Uh, if you want to support Chris, you can also sign up for the Fantasy Football Today newsletter for some off-season fantasy football content. If you're watching this on YouTube... Thank you. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. We have just over 16,000 subscribers and we're making the push for 20K this year. So that will be a pretty fun and awesome milestone if we can make that happen. Let's take a break and we'll be back right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. 
Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, before we get back into your questions, I did see a few news items pop up, Scott. Aaron Ashby, we knew he was a little bit behind with a shoulder injury. He's going to miss, quote, a couple of months with shoulder inflammation. So that has to drop him way down the draft rankings, and it's just a killer for Keeper and Dynasty Leagues because I still think there's a lot of talent there for Aaron Ashby, but the shoulder has been an issue now for two straight seasons. And also Cole Hamels. That's right, that Cole Hamels, he signed a minor league deal with the Padres. So if he's... Anything close to his, you know, obviously later career self, he could factor into their rotation. So uh, just a name in very, very deep leagues. Let's get into your emails. This one's from Mitchell. My longtime head-to-head categories league is moving from quality starts to quality appearances, where you will get one point for a pitcher going five or more innings with a 4.5 ERA or less. So that equates got to... Basically, two earned runs over five innings pitched is a 3.6 ERA. Three earned runs over five would not work. Uh, obviously, you need three over six innings pitched for the for the quality start. This change is to combat the decline in innings pitched per game started and eliminate any games where a starter uh, is used. What are your thoughts on quality appearances? Seeing as how my league is a daily lineups league, I feel like that makes most pitchers on any given night streamable and puts less emphasis on aces. I love this idea, Scott. I always thought that quality starts should be a sliding scale where if you go five innings worth of two-run ball, six of three, anything over three innings is probably not a quality start. But uh, yeah, I always felt that it should kind of be a sliding scale and, and we can... We can work five innings into the conversation as well. I, I like it personally. I think from a fantasy perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense to score quality starts anymore just because of how, you know, it's, it's come to mean something different, right? Like, because it's so common for pitchers, especially younger ones um, to to not to, to go less than the six innings required. I mean, they could have a great start, but they don't go six innings, so it's not a quality start. I don't know that I like want to change the definition of what a quality start is. Like, I feel like that's a separate discussion. There, I, I think there's a big difference between going five innings and going six innings in terms of how likely you are to to pick up a win. And quality start is kind of a way of saying you pitched well enough to get a win. And I don't know that. A five-inning start, you could say that for that. All right. So, but I mean, I mean, just in terms of of changing this for fantasy, I think it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, workload expectations are decreasing and continuing to trend that way. 
This next one's from Kevin, and it's a pretty loaded question, Scott. So, I mean, we could keep our answers to a minimum, but just thoughts. I'm starting a dynasty salary cap slash auction league and don't even know where to begin. Any idea on percentages of total budget, etc.? I think he's asking how you allocate your money, Scott, in typically in a salary cap or auction league. Some people are very strict with like a 65% for hitters, 35% for pitchers. I don't know if you follow it that closely, but no. also for a startup dynasty, you have to factor in, am I going after veterans? Am I going after players in their prime? Am I, how many prospects am I mixing in? So it's a mm-hmm. pretty loaded question. It is. It is a loaded question. I would say... And I don't know exactly what the keeper structure is either. I mean, are you keeping guys at this salary for however many years, or are they all being kept on equal terms, regardless of what you spent on them in the first place? Because if they're being kept at a, if they're being kept at their starting salary for several years, then I probably don't spend all my money. You know, I probably draft a lot of guys who. Um, aren't quite there yet, but have a ton of upside, you know, prospects potentially for as low as I can get them and just have that great starting point with, you know, have have a lot of, have a lot of, have my budget wide open for years to come with the expectation that those players will develop and, or at least most of them will develop into high end contributors. So that's what probably what I do if, if they're being kept at their starting salary, if they're not, then, um, I mean, as as far as hitting versus pitching, I always prefer hitting in dynasty leagues, but it's more about uh, my focus when starting up a dynasty team versus a redraft team. It's it's less even about like how am I going to put together the best team, as opposed to how am I going to get the most long lasting talent. So my focus would be more on that. It really changes the focus completely is what I'm trying to say. Like you're you're like my the the incentives are just completely different. And so it doesn't even make sense to think of it in terms of I'm going to distribute my budget this much for hitting and this much for pitching because the idea is long term contention, not immediate contention. I don't know if that answers your question at all, but I don't have a very I don't I can't give you a very specific answer is the thing. Yeah, it is tough, Scott. I've noticed in whenever we do dynasty startup mock drafts, I tend to target the age 23 to 27 players, guys that are young but established, but also entering their prime. So it allows you to compete now, but also, you know, hopefully compete for the next five or so years. And then I'll focus on prospects a little bit later on in the draft because let's be honest, there's no shortage of prospects, but. There's different ways to go about it. You could be the team that just goes completely prospect heavy and you know you want to be a great team in two to three years from now. There's different yeah. ways to attack it, but I typically like that, you know, age 23 to 27 range is, is where I live if, in these drafts. If it's the sort of setup where you keep everybody on equal terms and not based on their salary, then I'd probably go studs and duds with the duds being prospects. Right, like I'd get a lot of really high-end bats, maybe arms too, but especially bats, and pay whatever I have to pay for them, and then I have them, and I'm going to keep them forever, in theory, and uh, 
you know, the, the, the last few dollars I have to spend will go to players who aren't in the majors yet. And so maybe they're going to slip through the cracks like a Tyler Soderstrom or whatever. And then hopefully have a juggernaut in a year or two with that approach. All right, this next was from Dan. Last season, Scott was high on Patrick Sandoval and Brendan Rodgers. I haven't heard a peep about them this year. By the way, Scott, did you see that they're making a Peeps soda? I think it's Peeps Pepsi. Yeah, I don't think it's new. I haven't tried it before. Hmm. For me, the appeal of Peeps is primarily the texture. So, (laughs) you know, having the flavor infused into a soda doesn't do much for me. Yeah. I'd try it out of curiosity. I, I drink my fair share of soda. Yeah. Um, so I'd try it. I but mean, I, I don't imagine it's going to be a, a big winner for me. Pepsi is already so sweet, man. It's <laughs> how much sweeter can you get just well, basically I, making I, it? I don't. Marshmallow It's probably flavored. about the same sugar content. Yeah. It's just, it's more of, it has marshmallow flavor infused in it, I'm <laughs> right. guessing. Uh, well, Scott, how do you feel about these two players? Patrick Sandoval and Brendan Rodgers, are you still buying? Not really. I, I wouldn't say I'm excited about either. Uh, Patrick Sandoval really disappointed me with the strikeouts last year. And the whole case for him was strikeouts. Oh, look at how good this changeup is, how many whiffs it gets with it, the slider it's coming along to. I mean, he barely had a strikeout per inning last year. And then, you know, there's durability issues on top of it. And, Starting pitchers way deeper than it was this time a year ago. So I just don't know that the juice is worth the squeeze anymore. And Brendan Rodgers, um, I mean, he stayed more or less healthy last year and again was very disappointing. He's another, like on the opposite end of the spectrum, the way the, the, the entire hitting environment changed. It's kind of dampened my enthusiasm for him because I'm not confident that he's going to deliver the the home run outcomes that I thought he would in the old environment. Brendan Rodgers is one of these players, Scott, where he's better in deeper leagues where you just need a safe floor and you need quality plate appearances. He's not going to blow you away. I, I don't know that there's much upside because he hits way too many ground balls, which limits the power output, as you mentioned, Scott. And he doesn't run. Uh, we thought that maybe speed would be a part of his game. I think he has you know zero steals in this. Zero. Whole career in his whole yeah. career, right? So, yep. yeah, you're not getting much there. Uh, you know, leave it for the deeper leagues. That is uh, Brendan Rodgers. This one's from Corey. I rarely bother with a question, but now that my head-to-head keeper league draft order is set, I'm losing sleep debating between Garrett Cole <laughs> and Freddie Freeman for my top pick. They're uh, the top available guys. I only have Musgrove at starting pitcher, and already have Paul Goldschmidt at first base and Manny Machado at third base. Friedman could fill my corner infield spot. I like Freeman over Cole, but if I don't take Cole with my first round pick, I gave up my second and third round picks and won't pick again until round four in a 12-team league where 60 players are already contracted as keepers. My starting pitcher situation is dire if I draft Freeman. Scott, I think it's this not is not though. I think this is a situation where you I think I would take Garrett Cole because you already have two second round, borderline first round hitters in Manny Machado and Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lean with Garrett Cole. I know you're all into offense this year, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I, kind of the yeah. plan I laid out before, where like it's it's not a dire situation at starting pitcher because starting pitcher is plentiful in all stages of the draft. 
And I, I, it's going to take, it's probably going to take a couple years of deprogramming our brains to, to recognize this. I don't know, maybe MLB changes the ball again and, and I end up looking like a fool. But uh, I, I think this is a situation where because of the way the previous six, seven years went, you're, you're used to valuing starting pitcher in a way it doesn't need to be valued anymore, in a way that historically in fantasy baseball, it wasn't valued. So I don't think it's a dire situation. And I think as quickly as hitting sours at every position, I mean, we say first base and shortstop are deep. They are the deepest hitting positions, but still by the back half of the draft, there's not a lot, there's not a lot to get excited about. There are a few scattered players with upside. Uh, I just take Freeman. He's, he, I have him as a first rounder. I don't have Cole even as a second rounder. Personally, I don't think it, if we're talking about a categories league, he says head to head, but he also has a corner infield spot to fill. So I'm guessing it's head to head categories. If it's a points league, maybe that changes it a little, but I still think I'd lean toward taking Freeman. All right. Scotty's on Freeman there. I am on Garrett Cole. This one's from Garrett. Do you typically find yourself fading pitchers that throw in the postseason? Wondering if pitchers who throw so deep in the postseason find it hard to come back to form the following season possibly because of fatigue, additional strain, etc. Specifically, I know Zach Wheeler has shown he can throw a ton of innings in a season, but while I'm trying to determine my keepers, I'm wondering if I should be wary of Wheeler this year since he threw much more than other pitchers. We get five keepers in my league. My keepers are currently set as Matt Olson, Kyle Tucker, Shohei Otani, and Carlos Rodon. Should my last keeper be Wheeler, Bichette, Luis Robert, or Wander Franco? There's a few things going on here, Scott. I think I don't agree that Zach Wheeler threw a bunch of innings last year or more than other pitchers because he missed some time earlier in the year. He did throw a lot in the postseason, but overall he got to 188 and two thirds. I think this more might be more applicable for someone like Aaron Nola, who threw 200 in the regular season and then he threw 25 more in the postseason. He got up to 230 and two thirds combined. Something. I'd have to look, but I'm willing to bet he's never done that before. So you know, maybe yeah. kind of creeps into my, my mind a little bit for someone like Aaron Nola. With all that being said, I'd, I'd probably just take Bo Bichette as a keeper anyway. Yeah, I think generally speaking, if you're trying to pinpoint which of the pitchers are going to get hurt this year, you're, you're not going to be very successful with that. If, if they have a known health issue already, that's different, of course. But if they don't, if, if we have every reason to presume full health, saying, oh, this is the year this guy gets hurt, I, I just don't, I don't think, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's really a worthy exercise. Um, so to answer the question of who should be your last keeper, does he say what the scoring format is? He does not. I mean, Bichette is here on this list of options, so I don't know why it wouldn't be him. I almost wonder if it's a points league, the reason he's raising this question at all and the reason he's included Wander Franco here. Even, uh, you know what, if it's a points league, I probably would do Wheeler over Bichette because that's not really Bichette's better format, but, um, but probably Bichette is who I'd pick in most cases. Next one's from Joshua to Max, Byron, and Joey. I don't know. 
Those are the Twins outfielders, Max Kepler, okay. Byron Buxton, and Joey Gallo. We'll just call yeah, Chris Joey Gallo since, since he likes Joey Gallo so much. Yeah. My question is about salary cap leagues and when to nominate players you really want. Do you wait and let the other people nominate higher end 30 plus dollar players? Do you quickly get your backups for less so you make sure to get productive players? Do you try to dive... Uh, drive up other players' bids to use up their budget, even on players you don't want. Does it change for points or roto? Oh gosh, this is a uh, this is another loaded question here, Scott. And I, honestly, I I think it changes for me every time. I, I try to change up my pattern of. I think most often, I am nominating players that I don't want. So I can get money off the board, elite level players that I just want nothing to do with. That that's normally my usual strategy. But mm-hmm. every like third or fourth player, I'll kind of mix it up and I'll throw a player out there that I actually do want to win. Especially if yeah. I haven't won a player yet. Like I want to spend some money. So I'll just kind of mix that in a little bit. Do you have a general strategy? So the thing you have to remember, particularly early in in auctions or salary cap drafts, if you prefer. Uh, the thing you have to remember early on is that there's only w- one chance at each of these players, right? So if you're waiting around for the best value or you're trying to set yourself up for a great value and then the time comes and it's not a great value, there's no going back. Like, I, I think I think it's difficult for people to wrap their heads around that concept because there is kind of this conventional wisdom. Oh, nominate the players you don't want, so the money you can get get rid of. You know, you can other people will spend money and not have it to spend on the players you do want. But those are probably good players that you're nominating, and you're leaving yourself with fewer options. You're you're kind of painting yourself into a corner. So I do just the opposite early on. Like if I've put together a really clear plan for what I want to do and it hinges on a few key players, I want to know if it's realistic I'm going to get those players. I want to know soon so that I have more so that I can pivot easier if if I can't get that player. So I'll just throw them out there and see if I can get them. If it doesn't work out, at least I know and at least I can adjust. There is a point in the um, in the auction where uh, I have about twice as much money left as roster spots to fill, and at that point, I'm not going very aggressively anymore because there's I'm almost out of money, right? And when I get to that point, I'm pretty much only nominating players I don't want because I want the people the, for the players I do want or at least want to have a chance at. I want to jump in with a $2 bid rather than nominate him for one. Somebody else jumps in for two and now I have to go to three. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think it and makes total it, sense. Yeah. So un- obviously until I'm down to only $1 bids, I'm pretty much always nominating players I don't want. So early in the draft, I generally nominate players I do want. I may throw one who I, you know, just kind of a tester out there to see how the room's going to respond to random low end guy if they're going to go you know $7 on him when he should be a $1 or $2 player then that kind of tells me something about the way this is going to play out but generally speaking early on I throw out players I do want and late I throw out players I don't want a few more notes in this format Scott when I am 
planning for a salary cap or auction draft, I go crazy with the planning, Scott. I mean, I figure oh, yeah. out how much money I want to spend at each position. And if you play in a roto league, I will have three different names, three different options of yep. players I want. Uh, a main target, a backup, a backup to the backup. And I want to make sure that all of those players have a similar skill set. Because again, when you're drafting a roto team, you need the stats to add up. And that's what matters more than anything. In a head-to-head points league, it doesn't matter as much because what the player's skill set is. Obviously, you know you want to target high OBP and, and plate discipline and all that. Um, but I'll still do the same thing. I'll have a target, I'll have a backup, and I'll have a backup to the backup. And I do that for every position. Other last note is... People understand when a tier is ending in this format. And, you know, we talk a lot about the top tier third baseman, Scott. There's typically four that will go in the second round. Uh, Devers, Austin Riley, Machado, Bobby Witt. If Devers is the last player of that tier available, other people will know. Say those, the other three third basemen went for $28 to $30. There's a real chance that Devers is going to go for more than $30 and maybe even a lot more, like 35, 36, 37, because people know, all right, this is my last chance to get a top tier top tier third baseman, and I waited too long. So that's just in my, my experience. It changes in every draft, but that happens more often than not. At least I've noticed it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, and I agree with you on making a firm plan. I mean, some people in all manners of their life, just aren't planners and they fly by the seat of their <laughs> pants and maybe they're able to have a successful auction that way. But I just, I can't imagine it. The key is yes, plan it down to the dollar, have an idea of if not the exact player you want, then the type of player you want in each of the roster spots, plan it down to the dollar, like I said, and then be malleable as it's, as it's actually happening. If you have to go a dollar or two more than you'd budget it for, that's okay. Take a dollar or two away from somewhere else. Uh, and, and, you know, you might even have to make a more dramatic change because somebody you counted on getting went for way too much or, you know, you see people are just not spending enough money early on so there's the mid-tier players are going to go for too much and you may have to pivot based on that. But have a plan and adjust as needed. That's, that's the key, I think. And every plan this offseason should probably include Corey Seager, so I'll just throw that out there. This last one's from Brian. My 12-team, $260 budget categories league keeps three players for three years max. I'll be keeping Julio Rodriguez this year for $5 and Shohei Otani for $22. I keep going back and forth between Verlander for $22 or Corbin Carroll for $5, who I'll be able to keep again for $10 next year if this year goes well for him. What do you think? I mean, this is the age old Scott. Do you take the veteran, the guy that's done it, the one that you trust or, you know, the big upside prospect who could maybe be an awesome keeper for years to come? I think Carol, it's a close call. And if, if the pitching environment was different, like if this was still the thick of the juice ball era and high end pitching, that was critical, like the biggest differentiator in fantasy, then I'd probably go with Verlander, who's himself a pretty good price, but for how long? Yeah. You know, Carroll is a good price for this year and could be a great price for next year and the four years after that, you know? Yep. Fair enough. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching this mailbag edition of Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye.
If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.